Okay, let's be honest for a moment. How many parents or grandparents out there have experienced the scenario in the, in the video? Yeah. Yeah, I, we could spend, I know there's a Chiefs game today, so we won't tell all the stories from that time, so just want to make sure. Um, it's a privilege to be up here. Danny and Beth and Natalia are uh, doing Christmas in Arkansas with family, and so I have the opportunity to... to bring the message to you to kind of close out this series that we've been doing on Come Let Us Adore Him. And it's been, a, I, I've enjoyed it. It's been a good progression. It's been a good reminder of what it means to adore the Savior uh, and reminders. Corey kicked us off very well in the beginning. He talked about what Advent means. And so now, I, every time the, the TV says, and Christmas is over, I go, no, it's not. It's just begun. Because if you remember what Corey said, we don't celebrate true Christmas until the birth, and then it goes on from there. And so Advent, which is what we celebrate in the month of December, making our way to Christmas, is the beginning of preparing for what Christmas is. And so he, he did a great job helping us understand the expectation of the coming Christ and then to carry on from there. And then Danny talked about the good news and the bad news and how it was bad news, but for us it's good news and that we need to take that with us. Um, the fact that Christ was willing to come on this earth, and, and, and every time I read Scripture and, and realize who Christ is, we talk about it a little bit more today, it always fathoms me Christ's obedience, willingness to come to this earth and be a part of us and, and, and all the things that come with that. Dave talked about how this was a rescue story. It was to rescue us from our separation from God. And then on Christmas Eve, we had the opportunity to talk about how in our lives, we're to make room for Christ. In fact, Danny brought out the, the, the big vase, if you will, or the, the cylinder and showed how Christ needs to be at the center, not just added to, but the foundation. And we need to make room for him, and in doing so, it can make our lives different. Well, today, as we wrap this up, we're going to talk about the Christmas story and the fact that the Christmas story is about the here and the now. Uh, I think that's so important when we talk about the end of uh, the Christmas season that we look at the Christmas story as the here and now. Looking at that video and, and thinking about, have you ever noticed how quickly Christmas decorations get put back up? And there's a couple of you nodding and no one, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but how many of us have got caught in the the rush that as soon as Christmas is over, the next immediate step that we take is to take everything down, pack it all up, and put it in the closet somewhere in the basement until next year. And don't raise your hand. I don't want to tell, to tell anybody. But, but think about that. How many times do we, Christmas is over, now we're on to the next thing. It's New Year's, it's to this, it's to that. In fact, when, we were, when I was thinking this through, I told Keith, I want to make sure that this stayed here that this candle, which we use to represent Christ, the Christ candle, stayed. And not just stayed, but was lit. Because a lot of times when we go to church and we think about Christmas, this candle's like either is gone or we've blown it out because we've moved on from what Christmas is. I want to I challenge you today to, to not do that. To look at it differently. To understand that the Christmas story is not about something that happened way back, but something that reminds us every year is something that happens now. 
and that the Christmas story is about now. Yeah, the video, I love the video because I already asked you to raise your hands, but I can, again, we could tell stories of the times that we got a Christmas present and that present was so awesome when we got it until the next day. And then it lost its luster. It wasn't exciting anymore. We didn't like it. I mean, again, go back to, and I remember when Bailey was little, you know, we get her this fancy thing came out of the box, and she loved it on day one. In day two, three, four, five, six, and the weeks to come, she was playing with the box that it came in. New parents, let me give you, let me give you a hint. Don't buy the toy. Buy a bunch of moving boxes. Better yet, find free moving boxes. Wrap those up in Christmas wrap and let the kids play with those boxes. They'll last longer and they'll have more fun with them. No, I'm just kidding. That's a freebie. I'm just kidding. But think about that. Again, how many times do we rush to get rid? Um, interesting, in our household, um, way back, this has been maybe 12, 13 years ago, Lisa had an opportunity to go to Africa on a mission trip. And when she came back, she, she had a chance to go over there and buy a nativity scene that was hand-carved by... Um, somebody over there, and that nativity scene is in a curio cabinet, and I'm not going to say front and center, but it's in our living room, and we never take it down. And I enjoy that because I constantly have that reminder of the birth of Christ and what it means. Again, so many times we pull that nativity set out, and we, with great joy, we lay it out there, and as soon as Christmas is over, Baby Jesus gets packed up and put in the basement. I challenge you to think differently as we walk through that today about Christ and the Christmas story being here and now in a lifetime remembrance and not just a one-day celebration. We're going to look at two passages today, kind of a part one, part two. So grab your Bibles and first find Philippians 2, 1. I'll start with chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1. 1 through 11. And then if you really want to get ahead of yourself, and I'll give you time once we get there, but we're going to look at a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1 as well. But to go, to, go to Philippians first. Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through, through 11. Now, while you're doing that, I want to put up on the board this morning... I think the most important key thing for you to know, if you write this down on your sheet of notes and decide to go somewhere else in your mind, I'm okay with that, but I want you to get this first. Christ was born to make us whole, to make us one. Ponder that. One in the body, which is the church and one with him made whole to made complete in him. Ponder that for a second. Christ came to this earth and was born to make us one. One is a body and to be made complete in him. Now, to do that, there's another part that I want you to write down. To be whole, to be one, we have to experience and imitate Christ. And that sentence right there is very important, that we have to experience Christ 
and then imitate. We like to flip them. Oh, I'm going to imitate Christ, but I haven't experienced Christ. We jump ahead, and I'm jumping ahead now, but I want you to think on that, ponder that as we jump into these two passages. To be whole, to be one, we have to experience and imitate Christ. So, grab your Bibles. Like I said, we are going to start in Philippians chapter 2, looking at the first 11 verses. And as we look at this, think about the fact that the Christmas story brings the church together. Remember when I said that the story of Christ is to make us one, the body, the body of Christ? Well, we're going to start there. So let's look at it and read. Again, starting in verse 1, chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of, of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count each other more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, experiencing Christ, if we're to experience Christ we talk about experiencing the church and being one in the body. Let's look at that for a minute. Go look at the first two verses, and I love this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, have any of any in this room been encouraged by their relationship with Christ? Now, I, we probably could say, have any of us been throttled by the, no, let's go there, let's say encouragement. Have we been encouraged? How about anybody had comfort from his love? You ever felt, felt Christ's love, his, his, his love upon you, his love that you don't deserve? There are days that I don't deserve it, and God still rains his love on me. Any comfort, any participation in the Spirit, I love that one. Have you felt his Spirit with you? Again, not just when it's all good, but when things are not going right, and you felt his Spirit guiding you, directing you, carrying you? Have you felt his, his participation? How about his sympathy and affection? You felt God's mercy? God's ability to reconcile you, to make you right? Your ability to go to God and say, God, I messed up big time and I need your forgiveness and you can feel that forgiveness, that voice that says, Brad, it's okay. Brad, I know you messed up. Brad, we're going to figure this out. Brad, I'm going to restore you. 
Have you felt those things? See, if you have felt those things, then you have felt experiencing God. You felt his mercy. You felt his, his love. And they're right there in the body of this group right now who raised their hands and said that. We already begin to have one thing in common. We have God. We have that experience of him. We can immediately share stories about how God's worked in our lives. We can immediately realize that we have one thing in common, and that is God Almighty. And that that's why he came, and that's why he was born, to make us one. See, in the midst of this, there is unity. The unity being described here. It's funny, it's not found in a lifestyle or or personal interest. We all are very different in how we act and how we interact and maybe our, our skills and abilities. But all of those things that I just read that we raised our hands to and know that we can experience makes us one and unifies us together as a body of believers. And when that comes together, we begin to have same values, we have the same cares, we have the same interests. And Paul back then was telling the church of Philippi, if you have these things, you need to recognize this, that you're a body of one. And he challenges us today that if we feel those things, if we recognize those things, we are a body of one. Well, let's look at the next, the next two verses there. Verses 3 and 4 talk about how the church is to act. Now, sometimes we're not perfect about that. But go back and look at that. If the body of, the body of Christ is about others and not ourselves, how, what kind of impact can we make? How are we different? Do nothing from selfish vision or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each other look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. I'm going to say something, and some of you may scratch your head, but I want you to walk with me on this. Folks, the church wasn't made for you. The church was not created for you. The church was created as a vessel for us to connect with God and to worship Him, but it also was created for us to connect the world with God. And if you understand it that way, because when I first said the church isn't for you, it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, it was created so that we could connect with God and that we could bring other people into His body into the unity that we have in Christ. That with all of our differences, we say, those differences are not, and we are on the same page, same values, same understandings, and this is what is right in God's eyes. That's what the church was created. Created to understand his love and his forgiveness and the life change that he can make in you and I. See, Christ is the it. Christ is the one thing that brings us together. When we are focused on Christ, his love, his characteristics, not ourselves, become one as the church. And Christ is what is seen, not ourselves. If we're focused, if as a church we're focused, and and people see that when we do a garage sale in here, they see that when we do trunk or treat, They see that when we are out in our community and we're in this church, they see that as a group of people that are seeing others more important than themselves. We're here to serve. Man, 
I don't know about you, but in today's world as we speak, do we need unity? I have to remind myself that because our world is polarized and politicized in all the sizes you want to put out there. And we've got to step back and recognize that Christ is the unifying main component and not our own opinions and other things that we like to dive into. We need Christ's unity more than ever. Well, let's jump into the, the next part of there where it talks about the, the example of Christ. I love, I love this part of the passage. Jesus was God. We know that. We know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Jesus was God. And think about that for a minute because sometimes I think as, as Christians that are even seasoned, we gloss over this. Jesus was God, but chose not to take the crown. Think about that. And that was, the, that was the problem, that was the tension that when Christ first came, everybody rallied around him and said, oh, you're the coming Messiah, you're going to be the king of the world. And he said, that's not what I came for. What? You're supposed to deliver us, that's not what I came for. But you're supposed to, you're supposed to tell the Romans to bow down, that's not what I came for. What? God, and God had every opportunity to be in charge. God every had opportunity to say, you know what, sorry, God the Father, this just, I'm down here already, and this, they need me. They need me so much. In fact, when Satan said, hey, look, God, Jesus, if you want to become the head, I'll give you everything. And Jesus said, eh, that's not what I came for. That's not why I was brought to this earth. Rather, he chose to humble himself to become a human, to become a servant, he lowered himself to our level. You know, there are people that scratch their head and say, I don't understand why Jesus came as a baby. Why did he, and why was he born where he was? Because he started at the bottom level. Because to start higher would put him high, and he humbled himself, and we need to recognize that. That example begins to help change our behavior and attitude. Christ was obedient to God to the point of death. It continues to always blow my mind when I read this passage and I read when we get to, to Easter time and the crucifixion, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the, the, the fact that at that point, Christ begins to feel the weight of what is going on and has that hard conversation with God saying, God, I know this is what we planned. I know this is what you want. I know this is why I was here. Are you sure there's not another way we can make this happen? Because, you know, I, I think I've got them, and we could just do this in a nanosecond and, and, and not have to do the plan. Can we go plan B? And God said, this is what we decided, and, and Jesus says, not my will, but yours. It always blows my mind that, that the example of Christ was to follow to the letter what the plan was even when it meant that his death and his nasty death was going to happen. Through his obedience to God, God brought him back to himself. As he lowered himself and, and it was obedient to him, God raised him back up. So much th so that we get the privilege to know that Christ was our example on earth, that Christ is the way that we can get to God, that Christ is the way that we can have relationship. You go back to the Gospels and you read the life of Christ, we get the privilege to know of Christ's example on this earth. We get to learn of his love and his action towards others. 
we get to see that example to change our lives. Christ shows us how to treat each other. And his resurrection gives us the opportunity to have the right and restore relationship with God through Christ, through his example of obedience. See, if we imitate Christ, if we truly imitate Christ, disunity goes away. We're focused on God and his desires for us and his world. Again, not just for us that's in a selfish way, but for us and his world. Disunity goes away when we begin to imitate Christ. Well, now let's go ahead and turn, turn your Bibles to, to 2 Peter. Go back a little bit further into the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 9. While you do that, I'm going to ask you a question. Who's your hero? Who's your role model? Someone want to give me an idea? Give me an idea of maybe who your hero is. Or maybe as a child, let's go there. Let's do the easy one. As you were growing up, who was your childhood hero? Superman. I like that one. Yeah, I like that one. Superman. Somebody else. Your dad. That's a good one. Who else? Batman. Oh, we won't get into who's better, Superman, Batman. Who? Matt Dillon. Okay. Somebody else. Role model hero. Roy Rogers. Who? I'm just kidding. I know Roy Rogers. I'm, I'm okay. All of us growing up, or maybe even now, have a hero, a role model. So, how do we imitate that person? I mean, I'm assuming if they're a role model or a hero, we find characteristics of them that we emulate, that we repeat, that we do. Um, how many of us, when we were a kid or, or, you, or you've seen your kids, Superman's the favorite one. I'm going to be Superman, and so um, my clothes are always going to be Superman. I'm going to have a cape that's going to get so ratty, tattered, and torn, but I'm going to wear that cape 24-7. I'm wearing that out wherever we go. I'm sleeping in it. All of that stuff to the point that they go, yeah, I bet you that kid likes Superman because he's got Superman on right now. We see that in people. When we have a role model, we imitate them to the point that people know who that person is. You don't even have to say, well, who's your role model? Role model is this? No, I can see it in you that that's who your role model is. Well, let's look at, the, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very, and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, knowledge, and with knowledge, self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are, in, are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfaithful to the knowledge, unfruitful 
to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities so, so, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, was clean, that he was cleansed from his former sins. Imitating Christ. Everything we know, or everything we need, sorry, let's try this again. Everything we need to become like Christ comes from knowing Christ. Again, some of you are, duh, I know that. But if we're to be like Christ, how can we be like Christ if we don't know him? Go back to the role model. If your role model was Superman, don't you think you probably looked up what Superman did? Don't you kind of look to see how Superman acted? I mean, the cape is a good one. Didn't you realize that he had a cape? That he wore glasses when he was undercover? All of those things? How can I act and dress like Superman if I, have, if I don't know who Superman is? Or better yet, maybe I just woke up one morning and said, you know what? I'm going to be like Superman. And it just magically happens. No. It takes by knowing, by studying, by realizing who they are by becoming like them, by imitating, by doing even for some of us those role models. There were some stupid mannerisms that we might have done because we wanted to be like them to the point that someone said, again, hey, you're acting like so-and-so. That must be your role model. That must be who you look up to. That must be who you want to imitate. You knew them so well that you did things like them, sometimes good and maybe not so good, but you did. To imitate comes with knowledge of that person. We have to know who they are. We have to know all that. And so if we desire to be Christ-like, if we desire to be Christ-like, then we have to be willing to study, to get to know, and begin acting like Christ. There are times that people say, you know, I just got to figure out how to be more like Christ. Well, are you looking at how he was? Well, yeah, but have you studied who he was? You study how he acted? Have you studied how he treated people? Doing that to the point that people recognize and see Christ in us. See, and by imitating and growing in the knowledge of Christ, and I love what says what says in this passage, we can escape the corruption of this world and escape the sinful desires. How many of us want to ex escape the corruption, of the corruption of this world? I won't even ask you to raise your hand about the sinful desires. Again, there are times when I, you know, sometimes I think we go, man, I don't understand why I'm in this situation that I'm in. Well, do you recognize who you're imitating? Do you realize who you're studying? Do you realize what maybe is not in your life right now? And I wish I could say, you know what, once you become a Christian, you start reading God's Word, everything's going to be perfect and you're never going to make a mistake. I'm waiting for the laugh. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Because actually what I have found sometimes is when we make that bold statement, even just to ourselves, we get to have our temptation moment like Christ did. Are you sure, Brad? Are you really all in? Because you're really on a spiritual high, and 
I'm ready to send you down off the mountain. Are you ready? We have to work hard. And by imitating Christ, it allows us to get away from this crazy world. It allows us to find an escape from our sinful desires. It allows us a way to to get rid of that or put it at bay and know how to fight it when it comes. So yeah, I hope you feel that way. I pray that you do. Let's look on because there is a really cool progression of becoming Christ-like. And I know we could probably stop and say, okay, at what point are you in this step process? And I don't want to do that because I did my own evaluation and it wasn't pretty. But let's dive into this and see. Actually starting in verse 5, so if you want to follow. For the very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Now, think about that for a second. Faith with virtue. Faith is trusting God. Faith is our personal faith, the foundation of which our relationship began with Christ. When we pray the prayer to ask Christ into our life, we say, I believe in you, I have faith in you, I have not seen you, but I've read about you, I've heard about you, but may not immediately experience you, I haven't seen you face to face, but I have faith and trust in who you are, and my personal faith is again that relationship. And in doing so, God begins to affect how we live. We begin to live differently as we begin to live out, as we hear that word, live out our faith. So that faith is our foundation. Even if you were here Christmas Eve, you talk about Jesus as a foundation. Faith is our foundation, our belief in God. Our faith is our foundation. With that faith, we add virtue. And virtue is moral excellence, being different than the world, showing the world how God desires us to act, goodness, virtue, moral excellence. You know, in today's world, the word moral doesn't really come out very much, does it? Now, I, growing up, I remember that, you know, moral was the things that we were supposed to do and not do. And, and we're, so we're to take virtue to build upon that. Let's go on. With virtue... Knowledge. With virtue, knowledge. Now, knowledge is growing from just being good to, a day, to daily acting as God desires. A desire to study and to truly find out who we are and who we're to be and to work on changing our lives to be what God wants us to. See, that's interesting because we have knowledge in the world and there are people who are good people. But are they good people that have taken faith and virtue and added knowledge to it? See, knowledge is growing from just being good to daily acting what God, how God wants us to act. God desires us to act. Let's go on. So, from, so we've got faith and we've got virtue, we've got knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. Okay, let's pray and I finish right there. Self-control, self-restraint, the ability to keep our action, thoughts, and desires in line with Christ. And I'm only laughing because sometimes my self-control isn't exactly what it needs to be. I'm preaching to myself right now, so just bear with me. But we're to take faith and virtue and knowledge and begin to add self-control. 
you'd be able to control our actions. See, we already know what's right and wrong, but we've got to find a way to control that. Remember when I said back that, that we want the opportunity to get away from the corruption of the world and our sinful desires? This is where it starts kicking in. Because we go from just the head knowledge to action. Well, I know everything, Brad, and I know what I'm supposed to do. Then why aren't you doing it? Eh. All right, every now and then, my mind just, stop it. Self-control. Those that who live godly, a godly life exercise self-discipline and are able to restrain themselves from sinful desires. I didn't say they were perfect in their sinful desires. I said restrain themselves. I want to be, be right with God. I want to do best. Every now and then I fail. But I work hard at that self-control. And that, that can be challenging in our world because the world wants us to, ah, who cares about self-control? You're safe. Do what you want to. You're in the world. When you get out of this world, you can deal with it then. And that's not what God wants us. He wants us to change now, and he wants us to be an example of Christ in our world today. All right, so now we've slammed Brad enough. Let's get past this. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness. Endurance. Um, marathon runners, raise your hands. Bike runner, r- runners, raise your hands. Those who do those endurance things. Anybody do weightlifting besides Keith? Plan to do weightlifting in the year 2020. Endurance. Endurance is that ability to persevere, that endurance that says, no matter what, I'm going to stay focused. No matter what, I'm moving forward. No matter what, I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to stay focused on where I need to be. The ability to persevere, to follow what is true to God. To not stray to things that sound like God but are not of God. Folks, we live in a world right now that steadfastness is a hard thing because there's a lot of voices that pretend to be God and aren't. There's a lot of voices that try to create disunity in the church by being a little bit different than what Christ designed the church to be. And we need to be steadfast to that. To not stray to the things that sound like God that are not, that would make our life easier. Holding strong to what God calls us to be. When the world wants us to be one way, we know we're not supposed to, and we're to hold steadfast to that and stand fast and say, no, that's not what God tells us to do, even when it's not popular, even when it may not be right in the world, but we know in God's eyes it's absolutely true. So we got self-control, steadfastness. We're building up here. Let's keep going. Steadfastness with godliness. Mm. Godliness. Living a life that is like God. Christ has given us all we need to be godly. Go back and look at the example of Christ. He has given us, and in his life, he gave us everything we need to be godly. Now, godliness speaks to our lives and our actions of being like Christ when it's showing. To model what he has taught in his word. What God's word says, how to be godly is to follow what is in this great book. God's word godliness that's not sometimes we say well I'm godliness because I accepted Christ no godliness is striving to get to that point where I am a hundred percent there with God so we got faith virtue knowledge self-control 
steadfastness, godliness. Let's go on. Godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Not affection, brotherly affection. Brotherly affection like family devotion. Okay. Those of us that have family members, do sometimes our family members do bonehead things? Do you love that family member no matter what? In fact, would you willing, be willing to do something for them when other people would say, Brad, you, you know what they just did? Yeah, but they're family. And you would do whatever it took, even if it made zero sense. Okay, that may be from the world standpoint, but from God's standpoint, brotherly affection is like family devotion. It's non-judgmental, unconditional, and honoring one another. Now, be careful when I say brotherly affection, we say non-judgmental, because, well, that means that I shouldn't be telling my former Christian they shouldn't be doing what they're doing wrong. No, 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 no. You're to love them. You're to counsel them. You're to guide them. You're going to help show them. But you do it in a way that you don't say, I'm better than you, and let me tell you what you need to be doing You say, no, I love you so much. I hate to see where you're going and what you're doing. I want to get you in the right position. I want you to find forgiveness. I want you to be restored. I want you to find healing. I want you to find a way to get rid of that that loneliness that you have. I want to help you through the lonely time that you are dealing with. And during the Christmas time, there are people hurting. And Christmas isn't exactly the most fun time. And we, in brotherly affection, need to walk with them and help them and be right next to them during those times and showing God's love. Brotherly affection. And then finally, brotherly affection with love. When I wait a minute, Brad, I love everybody. I'm supposed to love everybody. Catch the progression. Faith to virtue, virtue to knowledge, knowledge self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And we're talking about the love that's the outflow of every Christian believer who believes in Christ, the one who sees what Christ did. His love was far greater than any love we might have for anybody in this room or in our family. He died for us because... That was how to make us right with God. He didn't judge us by what we did. He didn't say, I'm going to die for everybody but Keith. Keith's just not there yet, so I'm going to... I almost said Brad, but I've used my name so much I need to use you instead. Love. Love that's unconditional. An outflow of every Christian believer. The sum of all of these characteristics is love. The ultimate showing that Christ gave us by giving his life for us. Man, you see that progression? See, without these, this stair step, this this building of the foundation, without these, we forget where we have been, the past. We forget where we are going, the present. And we forget where we need to be, the future. We become blind to the fact that we need to be forgiven. 
I'm already there. I'm a Christian. I'm perfect. No, I need to be forgiven. In fact, I need to be forgiven just right now for saying what I said. We need to become blind to the fact that we become blind that, to the fact that we have been forgiven. We become blind to the fact that we need, should be different than the world. We become blind to the fact that we need to be imitators of Christ. If Christ is our role model, if Christ is our hero, then we need to imitate that so people can see. Okay, let's roll back to the point that I gave you at the very beginning. See, see, this is that time when I kind of wake you up from your trance and say we're about ready to finish, so you need to wake up again. Let's go back to that. Christ was born to make us one, to make us whole. One in the body, which is the church, and one with him, to be complete in him. That's why Christ was born. He was born to make that happen in you and I into this body that's here today. And to be whole, to be one, we have to experience and imitate Christ. I said this before, and I think it's important. If we want to try to imitate Christ, we have to experience Christ. And that experience is just not a Sunday morning. We have to find ways to experience him throughout the week. We have to find ways to experience him in the good stuff and in the bad stuff, in the hard stuff and in the easy stuff. And if we have that experience, then intimidating him is easy. With the selfish desires and all those other things. But if we experience him, if we've seen his love and felt his mercy and felt his, his kindness and his gentleness and the way that he protects us, we can imitate that to a world that needs to see to a world that says, wow, Brad's not perfect, but there's something different about him. There must be something else going on in his life, and I want to know what that is. Why are you acting the way you do? And you have a chance to not be judgmental. I'm intended Christ. Let me show you how to do it. You have a chance to share. Well, let me tell you how my life is changing, how my life is going, why I feel the way I do, because I know of a God, a Christ that was born on Christmas Day to change the world and to die on a cross, a horrific death, so that you and I can have a relationship with a God that we desire, but because of our, des our earthly desires, we're separated from him. That's why the Christmas story needs to continue past December. I'm going to say not the 25th. I hope you're still thinking of Christ now, but past December, past January, past February, past March, and folks, even past April when we celebrate his resurrection, because sometimes we stop there and say, well, Christ res was resurrected from the dead and I'm done. I got what I needed, I'm good. We need to be imitators of Christ. So what does that mean to you and me today? I always like to say, so What? Great story, great passage, Brad, but so what? What do I leave here? What, what? What does that really mean? It's a lifetime commitment. And hear that out. It's a lifetime commitment. I always love it. people accept Christ, and I have to remind them this is the beginning of the journey and not the end. Um, people who are baptized, the same thing. This is not the end. This is the beginning of a journey. And it's a lifetime commitment until we leave this earth and go to the presence of our maker in heaven.
and it's a lifestyle that's visible. It's a lifetime commitment and a lifestyle that's visible, that people notice, that people see, that people wonder and desire not to be like Brad, to be like Christ. That people say, I want to be like Christ, how do I get there? I want, to have those, I want to have those examples of what you're showing. How do I get there? How do I act that way? How do I change my life? And they see that in you. In closing, let me put this little thought in your head. Is the present pretty but losing its excitement? Or is the present life changing? Is the present pretty Is the decorations we have here cool and nifty and we love them? Is the candle awesome? But is it here today and gone tomorrow? Or is the present life-changing in our lives? That's making the birth of Christ, the Christmas story, here and now. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this challenge. I thank you that we every year are reminded about what Christmas means how you came to this earth, how you were obedient and how you taught, and you gave us a life to be an example. You gave us a life to imitate. And Father, I pray that we don't pack away you after Christmas and bring you out again in whatever month we do, but that we make the nativity, we make the birth of you, an everyday life commitment and life experience. Father, thank you for your examples. Father, help us to build upon being more like you. Forgive us when we fail and help us to get right back up and do it all over again. Father, I pray if there's someone in this room that doesn't know how to start that, that today might be the day that they say, you know what, I want to begin that journey. I want to begin that building. I want to begin to make you my role model, and I want to begin to imitate you. That they might have that conversation today with you, with one of us today. Father, we give you praise and glory for who you are and what you do in our lives. Thank you that we can imitate you. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to stand. As always, this is a chance.